Well, good morning. Welcome to LifePoint today. My name is Donnie Williams. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're here for the first time, I just want to say welcome. I would love to meet you after the service. We have a 10-minute welcome experience that we would love for you to participate in if you're new or if you've never gone through that. It'll be in the room off to your left as you go out into the lobby. I'll be out there talking a little bit about what our church is, what we like to spend our time focusing on, and maybe how you can participate in the mission of helping people connect with God. So I hope to see you out there right after the service uh, for about 10 minutes. So we're in this series called What Keeps You Up at Night? And this whole thing started back in the summer when we did a couple of online polls to find out from you what kept you up at night. And we ranked them. Uh, actually, the top one of all the things that we asked you about was the, what we talked about last week, which was kids and family. Your kids seem to keep you up at night more than anything else and your family. And so we talked about that last week. If you missed that, please go on our website and you can watch it or listen there. If you just click on the tab, it'll take you right to that. But what I'm going to talk about today is very close to the top. And it's something that maybe it kept you up in the last couple of nights. And that is money. And now you're probably thinking, I had the perfect excuse to miss today. And I didn't do it. I could have just not gone because of the water or something. And now I'm here and he's talking about money. Perfect. Well, today the message is, and when I am talking about money because it is what keeps you up at night. That's what you said. But the message is kind of good news, bad news. Like the doctor that went into his patient's room and said, I have good news and I have bad news. And the patient said, well, I would like the good news first. And the doctor said, you have 24 hours to live. And he was like, well, what's the bad news? He said, I forgot to tell you that yesterday. So that's a little much. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But today is, today's about good news and bad news. So here's the good news. The good news is you are rich. You are. You may not feel like it. You may think, what do you mean I'm rich? If you've seen my bank account, if you looked at that, you wouldn't say I'm rich, but you're rich. Now, if I ask for a show of hands, who's wealthy in here, you probably wouldn't raise your hand. But if I said, who wants to be rich? Who, who wants to stop worrying about money? Who wants to stop worrying about stuff? And if I went person by person and I said, what does it mean to be rich? I would probably get as many answers as there are people in the room, because rich is not always easy to define. It's determined by where you are. Gallup did a poll, and they asked, what is rich to you? How much money does it take to be rich? And then they categorized people by how much income they currently had. And the people who are in the $30,000 range of income, when they were asked, what does it take to be rich? They said $74,000. Now, a lot of you probably make $74,000, and you're thinking, well, that ain't rich. Trust me. And the people in the $50,000 range, when they were asked, how much money does it take to be rich? They said $100,000. And maybe if you make $100,000 a year, you're thinking, well, that's not rich either. So they raised it up a little more, and they put people in a category of 250 and up. What did they say that it took to be rich? And they said $5 million in total assets. And then they would feel like they're rich. The problem with defining rich is it's a moving target. 
It's always based on where you are, and it's always based somewhere else. Like, well, I'm not rich, but man, those people over there, they're rich. Rockefeller was asked one time, what, what does it take for a person to be rich? And he said, just a little bit more. So no matter where you are, rich is just this moving target. Now, I'm aware that there's probably some people in here that you're really struggling financially. A single mom, a single dad. Somebody left you. You lost a job. Something happened in your life and you're barely getting by. You're barely paying the rent. You don't know how you're going to keep the car on the road. But the majority of people in the room are not dealing with that. If you're dealing with that, come and talk to us. We'll help you walk through whatever issues you're going through. But most of us in the room can put ourselves in the category of top wage earners in the world. If you don't think that, just let, absorb these stats. If you make more than $33,000 a year, and if you have a job, you probably do, you're in the top 1% of wage earners in the world. Take the world's population, put them all together, you're in the top 1%. You might be thinking, I've never finished in the top 1% in anything. <laughs> well, you do today if you make more than $33,000 a year. If you make $80,000 a year and, and up, you're in the top one-tenth of 1% 1 of all wage earners in the world. So are you rich? Yes. We're rich when we compare what we have with what the rest of the world has. So the good news is you're rich. The bad news is you're rich because God warns us over and over again what riches can do. Riches compete for your heart. There's a lot of competition going on in our world today. But the greatest competition that you will ever face is the competition that riches have for your heart. Because if you're rich, and we already said we're probably in the 1% or one-tenth of 1% percentile of the world's riches, if you're rich, it, it really becomes a struggle to depend on God. Because it's easy to depend on ourselves when we have every possible thing we could want or we can go buy it. Then I can depend on me. What do I need God for? I got everything that I possibly want. It also distracts me from what's really important. Riches can distract me from what's really important. How many families have been destroyed because mom or dad wanted to climb the corporate ladder? Mom or dad wanted to make a bunch of money under the banner of, well, I just want to take care of my family. How many families are destroyed when riches win the competition for our hearts? And when that happens, either the relationship with God suffers or the priorities in my life get really out of whack. But there are godly rich people. There are people who have riches and they're godly at the same time. How do you do that? That's what we have to figure out. How can I be rich without it overtaking my heart and competing for the space that's reserved for God? How do I do that? Well, Jesus talks about that in the New Testament book of Luke. There's some Bibles coming in the aisles right now. If you don't have one, raise your hand. The ushers will give you one of those. It's yours to keep. You can also follow along on the screen. 
Jesus has just finished doing some pretty heavy teaching, revealing truths, and he's teaching to this big crowd of people, most of whom would not have been his followers, but then he had his small group of disciples there with him as well, and he's teaching, and he finishes teaching, and oftentimes on Sunday, I'll finish teaching, people will come down front and ask questions. Well, Jesus finishes teachings this day, and somebody had some questions. And here's how it starts. In Luke chapter 12, after Jesus teaches, this happens. Then someone called from the crowd, teacher, please tell my brother to divide our father's estate with me. Jesus replied, friend, who made me a judge over you to decide such things as that? Then he said, beware, guard against every kind of greed. Life is not measured by how much you own. So Jesus is saying, he's, he just finished teaching, and the first thing that this guy comes up with, how can you help me get more money? Now, if you want to find a preacher that tells you, hey, I can tell you how God can give you more money. You just give me money, and God, will, it'll just magically appear. You can find those. Flip through the channels long enough, you'll find somebody that's saying that. And that's what this guy was coming up to Jesus for. Hey, help me with this money thing. I want more money. My brother won't give it to me. Jesus, tell him to give it to me. And Jesus said, you better be careful. You better watch out. If Jesus says watch out, you should duck your head. Because he's saying, hey, you need to watch out. Because you need to guard yourself against greed. Because your life isn't measured by what you own. Then he told him his story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. He said to himself, what should I do? I, have, I don't have room for all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other goods. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you've had enough stored, you have enough stored away for many years to come. Now take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you worked for? So Jesus tells this story about this successful farmer right after he says, you better beware. You better watch out for greed because life doesn't consist in how many possessions you have. And then he tells a story about this farmer who had lots of stuff who was a very successful farmer and he stored up all of this stuff and then he died. Jesus actually said, God called him a fool. You've stored up all of this stuff in your life and now you're gonna die. None of it's going with you, it's all staying here and haven't you spent your time doing something that's pretty worthless if all you did was store it up and God says, that's foolish. And then, just so Jesus didn't, wasn't misunderstood, he said this, yes, a person is a fool to store up earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship toward God. So the farmer wasn't a fool because he had money. He was a fool because he had money at the expense of a relationship with God. Jesus is not condemning the money the guy had. He's condemning the priority it had in his life. He's not saying, 
shame on that guy for having lots of money. He's saying, shame on that guy for focusing on just money his whole life, focusing on only his comfort and not having a rich relationship with God. That's what Jesus told this story for. So people would understand it's foolish if you chase after all that, store up earthly wealth, but you don't have a rich relationship with God. This farmer made a couple mistakes. He believed that all of his extra income was for him. He believed it was all, I got all this extra, it's just for me. I'm just gonna store it up more for me and I'm gonna use it later. I'm gonna store up more and I'm gonna use it later. And he just believed all that income was his income, just for him. And he also made a mistake by thinking that he could just be rich towards himself, but not towards God. So the tragedy isn't that this guy was rich. The tragedy is that he got rich at the expense of his relationship with God. Somewhere along the line, that competition for his heart was won by money. And you might think, Somewhere along the line, I'm going to earn enough and have enough, and then everything's going to be okay. Somewhere along the line, I'm going to stop worrying about money. If I told you there was a way for you to stop worrying about money, stop wearing out your sheets at night, tossing and turning, figuring out what you're going to do, how you're going to pay, how you're going to get, if I told you there was a way to do that, I'm assuming you would want to know, since you already said money is something that you worry about. What Jesus is talking about in this story is greed. Greed is a lot like riches. Somebody else always has it. Greed is really hard to see when you look in the mirror. There's two things people have never confessed to me. One is being rich and the other is being greedy. Nobody's ever come. Most people don't go tell their pastor, hey, I'm loaded. I just want you to know. I got all kinds of money. I don't even know what I'm going to do with it. Can you help me out? I mean, nobody's ever done that. I would love, if it happened, I'll write about you. I promise. <laughs> Nobody's ever come up to me and said, I am greedy and I don't know what I'm supposed to do. The greed's really hard to see in the mirror. It's hard to look at yourself and say, I'm really greedy. It's very easy to look at somebody else like this farmer and say, well, that greedy guy, I cannot believe he would just store it all up for himself and not share any of it. So Jesus told this story to get at the heart of what was going on, and that was greed. That he allowed money to overtake his relationship with God. Jesus calls that greediness. So then Jesus is speaking to this huge crowd of people. And then he turns to his inner circle, kind of like, hey guys, come here. I want to tell you what all this just meant. I want to tell you what all this was about. So he says to them, you're a fool if you store up wealth and don't have a relationship with God. And then he turns to his inner circle using kind of insider language. You probably have this language in your family. Like if mom gives a look, you kind of know, you know, like mom's look, you know, get in the car, everybody. I just got the look. And you probably have that in your family or, or you, you know, you're, you, you, you guys, your wife will give you a look and you know, oh shoot, I should not have said that. You know, you, you can just feel it. And so Jesus is turning to this insider language that he's going to use with his disciples. And so he says to all the people, you're a fool if you take money over relationship with God. 
And he turns to his disciples and he says this, beginning in verse 22. That's why I tell you, do not worry about everyday life. Whether you have enough food to eat or enough clothes to wear. For life is more than food and your body more than clothing. Look at the ravens. They don't plant or harvest or store food in barns. For God feeds them. And you are far more valuable to him than any birds. Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? Why do you have so little faith? And don't be concerned about what to eat or drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your father already knows your needs. And so Jesus is talking to the ones who are following him, and he's referring to the ones who don't, and he's saying, don't let these things dominate your thoughts like those people do. That guy that asked me, hey, Jesus, divide my money, he doesn't know me. He doesn't have a relationship with me. That's what dominates his thought. And Jesus is looking at his followers, and he's saying, you are different. There's something different about you. Don't let those things dominate your thoughts because God already knows what you need and he's already promised to take care of it. God already knows that you have needs and he's already promised to take care of it. So don't be like those people who don't know me that it dominates their thoughts. And if Money and worrying about money and worrying about your next level, if that's a dominant thought in your life, then you need to make a change. It's not hard to see what dominates the thoughts of people, especially online. If you just look. Like right now, I am sick of seeing election stuff in my newsfeed. That okay? I mean, I know you got opinions. I, you know, I've never read one and said, hmm, okay, I think I'll, I'll believe that now. Never happened. You probably don't do that either. But I can tell what's dominating people's thoughts by just scrolling down through my friends. You can tell what dominates a lot of my thoughts. Just look. If you follow me, if you're friends with me, you, there's a lot of things on there about my family, about my kids, about this church, and that's really about it. Some other personal stuff, but that's about it. You can tell what dominates people's thoughts by just listening, by just watching. And if money and possessions are dominating your thoughts right now, then you need to make a change. Now, Jesus tells us how we can make that change. We gotta, one thing we have to do is start distinguishing between a need and a want. And you would think that's easy, especially if you have kids, you tried to help them distinguish between that from a very young age, but some people never grow out of it. And you don't know the difference between a need and a want. When we're tossing and turning all night long, worrying about money and stuff, either we've made such bad financial decisions that we have no choice but to worry because we were stupid with our money, or we're trying to think how we can attain more and more and more, and we're just worrying and staying up and not focusing on our relationship with God. And Jesus called that foolish behavior. The good news is that you're rich. The bad news is that you're rich. Now let me go back to the good news about us being rich. The Bible tells us how to be rich. It specifically tells us this is what rich people do. There's nothing wrong being rich. There's nothing wrong with making lots and lots and lots of money. 
That's never condemned in Scripture. What's condemned is doing that at the expense of a relationship with God. That's condemned. So the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who other than Jesus had the most impact on the first century church, was training a young leader named Timothy, and he wrote these words to him and how Timothy should relate to rich people. I think you would agree, if you're in the top 1% of the world's wage earners, you're rich. The best way to define being rich is having more than I need. If you have more than you need to get by, you're rich. And this is how we're told to communicate with rich people. In 1 Timothy chapter 6, it says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of life that's truly life. He's communicating life that's truly life has little to do with riches. But if you are rich, here's how to be rich and have a life that's truly life. And it's not through buying more stuff for yourself. It's not through attaining the next level. It's through being rich the way God says to be rich. And he doesn't say, hey, could you suggest this to rich people? Could you maybe talk to them about it? He uses a much stronger word. The word he uses is command them to be like this. So here's how God wants us to be rich. God wants us to be rich in good deeds. He says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, doing good things. When you do something good for somebody else, you feel better. When you help somebody, when you buy somebody's lunch, when you give a gift, when you physically go do something to help somebody else, it does help them. But the greatest benefit is to you. It's what it does inside of you. And so God knows that. So he says, you need to be very generous with good deeds, with doing good things, not to make God love you more, not to make him have to let you into heaven when you die, but just because it's what's best for you. And if you want to get to a life that's truly life, be generous in good deeds. He also asks us to be generous. He asks us to be, uh, he asks us to be rich in generosity. God wants us to be rich in generosity. The best way, since we all think greed is somebody else, like those other people are greedy, right? Not us. It's somebody else. If you want to test your level of greed, just give more money away. Just see what happens. I challenge you, give more away. If you don't believe in our mission here at LifePoint enough to give towards it, then give it somewhere else where you believe in it. Give more away and that'll test your level of greediness. Just whatever you give, give more. And you'll see very fast, am I greedy? Am I not like experiencing generosity in such a way that brings me life? If you start to write that bigger check to somewhere and you feel that, well, you might be dealing with greediness. I've told you this story before, but it's had one of the greatest impacts on me throughout the years in ministry. Many years ago, I used to take college kids on mission trips. 
And uh, the church where I served at the time, we would plan this mission trip, and it was about $1,000 a student. They would do all these things to raise money to get to go. People would give money. They'd come up and write checks. Somebody would say, hey, here's $3,000. I want to send three kids. Uh, somebody would say, here's $1,000. I want to send somebody. And, and they would just give the money, and the students would raise the money, and they'd get to go on these life-changing trips. There's this one old lady. Every year we did it. She would come up with an envelope and it had the same amount of money in it every year, but she had the same words to say every year. Hey, Donnie, I've saved some money and I want to help one of those college kids go on a trip. She would hand it to me. I'd open it up, $20 bill. Now that $20 bill is not going to help, not going to make a difference. It's not going to put somebody over the edge because if they were $20 short, we would take care of it. But that, that 20 bucks by itself didn't make a huge difference. But the generosity behind it made a huge difference. I've seen people write checks for $200,000 that were the same amount of generosity as that lady's $20 bill. So it's not a, the, about the amount. It's about where am I willing to place generosity in my heart because God said it changes me. What happens to us, and this is how you can know if money's competing for your heart, because it's a statistical fact that people, as their income level grows, their percentage of generosity goes down. People who make less give a higher percentage than people who make more. So somewhere along the way, somebody draws a line and says, well, that's just too much money to give away. And so the percentage they keep for themselves is much higher at higher income levels than the percentage people at lower income level keep for themselves. That's a fact. That's just not a life point thing. That's everywhere. What if, the, what if people figured out that the true way to life is not to keep more for themselves as they increased in income, but to give more away as they increased in income? Even if the percentage stayed the same, the dollar amount would go up dramatically. What if people figured that out? Then they would get to that life that Paul is talking about when he says, then they will experience life that is truly life. Proverbs 11.25 says, a generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. So generosity and where, however you express it, whoever towards, does a lot more for you than it does for the recipient. It'll move you towards the life that's truly life. God also wants me to be rich in relationships. You've heard us over the last few weeks and months talk about, we want you to move from being in a row to being in a circle. You cannot develop relationships sitting beside somebody, but you can if you're sitting in a circle, getting to know each other. People with rich relationships, it's a fact, they live longer, they're healthier, and they have a higher quality of life if they have rich relationships. That's not tied to income level, it's not tied to where they live in the world, it's tied to the relationships they have in their life that are so rich that it leads them to a life that's truly life. So if you're not in relationships outside of this room, some kind of spiritual relationship, you're missing out. You're missing out on a life that could truly be life. So are we rich? Yeah, that's good news. But it's also bad news. Because some of you have allowed it to compete for your heart and win against your relationship with God. And God says, I want you to be rich. I want you to be rich in good deeds. I want you to be rich 
in generosity. I want you to be rich in relationships. You can have those riches no matter what your income level, whether you make a little or whether you make a lot. You can be rich in those things, and that's what will lead you to the life that's truly life. So ask yourself, how's the competition for my heart going? How's it going? Who's ahead right now? Is it my relationship with God, or is it my relationship with money and stuff? And Jesus says, don't think like people who don't even know me. Don't let it dominate your thought. And maybe today you need to make a change. I hope what I've shared from God's word will help you take a first step in making a change in wherever you need to experience riches and the true life that's promised us. And may God be the dominant in all of your thoughts and all of your life. Let's pray. God, thank you for this challenge that comes from Jesus. God, we acknowledge it's hard. It's hard to not let those worries dominate our thoughts, but may you help us. May you give us the strength to take the steps to make a change. And I pray this in Jesus' name.